1 Corinthians chapter 12. This chapter continues Paul's instruction on order in worship. And so the first thing he did was he talked about order in prayer. And it had to do with head coverings and that custom. Uh, but the bigger uh, message there uh, was that in the church setting there needs to be order in, in respect to uh, honoring God's authority, His lines of authority. So that was the bigger message in, in that aspect. The second thing that we looked at last Sunday was order in how we observe the Lord's Supper. And this morning now it is order in the exercise of spiritual gifts. Uh, this instruction is, uh, is big, it's, it's involved, it's, uh, it's chapters 12, 13, and 14. There's a lot here, and so it's going to take us a few weeks to work through. So today, this morning, we hope to only answer some of our questions. Uh, what, is a, what is a spiritual gift? Do I have a spiritual gift? And if I do, how am I supposed to know what my spiritual gifts are? If I've got a spiritual gift, what am I supposed to do with it? And so our passage begins in chapter 12, verse 1. We're going to read the first 11 verses together this morning. About matters of the Spirit, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware you know how when you were pagans, you were led to dumb idols, being led astray. Therefore, I am informing you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God is active in every one and everything. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of languages. And to another, interpretation of languages. But one and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each one as He wills. Turn our attention to verse 1. This is now concerning what comes from the Spirit. Almost all translations are going to say now concerning spiritual gifts. But that word gift is not in the Greek text. With the best intentions in mind, translators have put that word in there to help us. And that's because sometimes the Greek construction of a phrase is a little bit awkward. And it doesn't really communicate to us what's trying to be said. And so they've inserted the word gift in many of them. The King James Version, the New Revised Standard Version, the NIV, the ESV, all say spiritual gifts. When you turn to the New American Standard or the New King James Version, they have the word gifts, but it's in italics. So they're at least helping you and letting you know that that word is not actually in the text. The New Living Translation says special abilities of the Spirit. So it's basically saying, in paraphrastic terms, spiritual gifts. 
So this is one of those times when I absolutely prefer the Holman Christian Standard Bible, which is what I've been teaching from, from the pulpit since I've been here. It says, now concerning what comes from the Spirit. So it does not put the word gifts in there. This is very important because this entire subject that Paul's getting ready to talk about, he's introducing it. And he's introducing it by talking about the source of things. When someone is speaking to you, there is a source. When you're hearing something about a subject matter, there is a source. And so this is in line with what he's trying to say here. About matters of the Spirit, I do not want you to be unaware. I want you to know about this. It's not a secret. You, and then he begins to talk about a situation when, that they were brought out of in idolatry. When they were in temples where they were sacrificing and worshiping idols. And this all culminates with verse 3. So the first three verses all have to do with source. Identifying the source of things that's coming at you. And so uh, verse 3 is probably the first verse out of all of this that's going to be the most difficult. Uh, there are many difficult places in these next three chapters. It's very controversial. You've probably heard a lot of different things about these three chapters, and you probably have a number of questions. And we will get to all of them, but just not all of them today. Verse 3 is interesting because it's talking about two different kinds of sources. It's telling us that someone is speaking and you're getting two different messages. And so Paul is asking us to, to identify the source. And he's telling us how to do that. He says no one that is speaking from God's Spirit is going to say something derogatory about Jesus. That's not going to happen. Now, what's difficult for us is that we do not understand the set of circumstances that is occurring that would deserve this statement that Paul's making in verse 3. We don't know. We don't know if he's referring to when they were in the pagan temples and demons were speaking through people and saying derogatory things about Jesus. We don't know if there are people who are fresh out of idolatry or at least present in church and demons are continuing to speak through them in church. We remember when Jesus got up to teach in the synagogue and a man stood up, demon-possessed, in church. We don't know if there was just false teachers. We don't know the circumstances, but what we can tell is that there are two different messages coming. And Paul is saying, recognize it. If someone's speaking bad about Jesus, you know that's not coming from God's Spirit. And so this very much keeps in line with what he is introducing here in verse 1 when he says, about matters of the Spirit. Now concerning what comes from the Spirit. So he's talking about sources, isn't he? When we get to chapter, verse 4, he's narrowed it down. He's beginning to now talk specifically about gifts of the Spirit. And so what's happened here is that he's talking about two different sources. One is very good and one is very bad. And you want to eliminate the bad one. And now we've just got this one source. And then in verse 4, he begins to explain to us that from this one source, which is God, you're going to have many ministries, different activities, but it's all from the same God. There are many different spiritual gifts, but it's all from God. 
So we went from two sources to one, and then this one source, now we're starting to talk about a variety of gifts. So there in verse four, it says, now there are different gifts, but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord, and there are different activities, but the same God activates, the ESV says empowers, but the same God empowers each gift in each person. A demonstration, the ESV uses the word manifestation. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. And then between verses 7 and verse 11, there is a list of spiritual gifts. And so we want to jump down to verse 11. But one and the same Spirit is active. One and the same Spirit is manifested in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. And so just from right, we've just read right here, we can answer a couple of our questions. We can see there that in verse 7, all believers have at least one spiritual gift. All of us do. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. And that word beneficial is the word in the Holman Christian Standard. Some of your versions are going to say things like, for the common good. And again, in my opinion, this is translators trying to help out too much. Because what's going to happen is over and over again, we're going to find out that spiritual gifts are supposed to be used for building up the church. They're supposed to be used to serve other people. But in the process of doing that, we benefit too. So when a spiritual gift is exercised in your own personal life, you benefit. And so we don't have to help out the Bible too much. So when it says that... Uh, that uh, a manifestation of the Spirit in verse 7 is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. I like that word because it captures both, what it does for the person and what it does for others. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, And based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others. So you can see that, that, that idea of serving others is being... You can see that coming into play in how the other translators have handled verse 7. Again, all of us have received spiritual gifts. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. So here's the idea is that everyone who has been born again has received at least one spiritual gift. And the basic idea of the gift is that you do benefit in the exercise of that gift, but the, the goal is to build up the church and to serve others. And so uh, if, I, if I had the gift of evangelism, we just read the, the list here, but uh, there's a gift of evangelism. And if I've led someone to Christ, that person obviously benefits. And the church itself benefits. This is building up the church. But I benefit too. I'm rewarded. I'm working on that soul winner's crown. I'm encouraged just to know that, I can, that God is working and using me. So I benefit, but others benefit. The problem is, is if we, we want to uh, maximize our benefit and not be concentrating on the bigger purpose of the gift, which is serving other people. And so again, this is all about humility. It's all about having a servant's heart and recognizing that all of us have, have different responsibilities and roles in the body of Christ, and God wants us to use the things that He's given us for the benefit of others. 
and in the process of doing that, we get to benefit too, right? So uh, we all have spiritual gifts. Now, uh, we look at this church here in Corinth. If you were to look at, at chapter 1, verse 7, it says that they everybody, uh, that this church in Corinth, and he's not talking about Philippi and Thessalonica, he's just talking about in Corinth. He says, the church you are in, you've all got every single spiritual gift in operation. Every single gift that there is, is there in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, it says that uh, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we notice that at the end of chapter 12 that not everyone possesses all gifts. At the end of chapter 12, it's going to have a series of rhetorical questions. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in languages? Do all interpret? You see? So let's think about what we've learned so far. We've, we've recognized that every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. And that the gift is supposed to be used to serve others. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. And that uh, we have different gifts. So just in the church of Corinth, this is very important, all of them had the spiritual gifts and exercise in that body, but they didn't all have the same ones. Sometimes people will tell you that, you've all, that all of us are supposed to have this one certain gift. Here, here in the body of uh, Christ, in the, in the church in Corinth, all gifts were manifested, but not everybody had the same ones. It's very scripture, very clear about this. And also, as we looked at these verses here, uh, in, in, in these verses four through seven, and then uh, also verse eleven, which uh, summarizes the list that he gives, uh, we see that the Trinity is very involved. Verse four is the Holy Spirit, is God the Father. Verse five is Jesus, and you can in the. Uh, Verse 6 is, is God, and then uh, the Holy Spirit in verse 7. So you can see that the, the, all three persons of the Godhead are actively involved in this. And then you can see in verse 11 that it is God who distributes them according to His will, according to His purposes. Now, now let's look at the list. This is a, this is a longer list than you have in the, in the passage we just read. And that is because you have to go to several places in the New Testament to get the complete list. The lists are given in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. 1 Corinthians 12, which we just read, verses 8 through 10. And then later in this chapter, in verse 28, we're going to get some more gifts. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, there's a listing of gifts. And then again in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. And so when you go to all of those places, you're going to, get to, you're going to come up with a list like this. And this is very difficult, you guys, because they'll say, you'll be like, is that the same gift he's talking about? Is that the same, when he says leading and shepherding and pastoring and administration, is he talking about the same thing? And so what you can do is you can attach a Greek word to each one of those things up there that's distinctive to that one thing. It kind of gives us the idea that he's talking about different gifts. And then in some passages, he may use 
the word for shepherding and then the, the, the word for administration as two different gifts. And so you can begin to see that. And so, uh, but there's a variety of lists. Uh, if you were to just, you know, explore this, some people are going to come up with seven or eight gifts, some people 20, some people 18, some people more. Um, there's a word called leading, and it's got its own Greek word, but I have not got it up there. Uh, most people kind of slide leading into shepherding, and they slide leading into administration. But it may be its own spiritual gift. And I think that we should know that this list may not be complete. There may be other ones that are just not listed. But I have up there for you 20. I want to go through each one of them. Uh, the longest uh, time we'll spend on any of them is the very first one. And that is the gift of being an apostle. The word apostle means to be sent out. One who has been sent out. And there's a difference between the office of being an apostle and the spiritual gift of apostle. They're two different things. Now, if you have the office of being an apostle, you probably also have the gift of being an apostle too, right? But the office is very unique. The Bible tells us that in, in the New Jerusalem, there's going to be 12 stones that are the foundations for the building, and the names of the 12 apostles will be on each one of those stones. So that is the office. That was a very unique set of circumstances. That's in Revelation 21, verse 14. And they had very unique qualifications. Their qualifications are so unique that nobody today can be an apostle. So this is identifying a certain group of people who were operating in an office capacity. The, the, the position of pastor in a church is an office. The position of deacon in a church is an office. It's clearly defined in Scripture, and the qualifications are given a couple of different times. And so as when we look at the office of an apostle, they had very specific qualifications. First of all, they had to have actually been eyewitnesses to the risen Christ. Eyewitnesses. And so that eliminates all of us very quickly, doesn't it? Um, uh, another one is that in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, it tells us that each one of these fellows was chosen by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a resume situation. And then uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, it tells us that they had the ability to perform signs and wonders in the process, process of laying the foundations of the church. And so these fellows, were, were, there was 12 of them that God sent out, that Jesus sent out, that the Holy Spirit sent out to establish the New Testament church. And in the process of doing that, God was authenticating the gospel and their message with many signs and wonders. And these were unique individuals because they had witnessed the resurrection, the resurrected Christ. That's the office of apostleship. But uh, uh, today, in a lot of charismatic circles, you will have people throwing around the term apostle and trying to take that revelatory, supernatural, special kind of a thing and trying to attach it to themselves. And uh, This was a unique circumstance in the first century. But in addition to that, there is room in the New Testament to use this term to identify other Christians. It is a gift. And it means to be sent out. 
If you were to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4, at the end of chapter 3 and at the beginning of 4, you can see how Paul is talking about himself and Peter and Apollos. And they're all being equated as apostles. Acts chapter 13, verse 2, we are told that Barnabas is an apostle. Titus is an apostle, 2 Corinthians 8.23. Epaphroditus, Philippians 2.25, is an apostle. This is being described as a spiritual gift. And so we can see that there is room for this term to go beyond the twelve, not beyond the office. The office is something that was in the first century. It cannot be repeated, but the gift. This is something like the gift of missions. That would be a, a, a missionary. And so in most evangelical churches today, we don't use the term apostle because it brings confusion. We just use the word missionary. This is someone who has been sent to uncharted waters, unreached people, to found churches. This is the gift of apostleship, one who has been sent out. The second gift up here is prophet, a prophet. Now, you and I, when we think about prophets and prophecy, we think of people telling the future. And to be sure, a prophet of God, uh, there is a revelatory aspect to this. Uh, sometimes they are predicting the future, telling things that uh, are going to happen in the future. But the primary aspect of this gift uh, was both. It was revelatory in the first century, and it was also bold proclamations. It means to speak forth. So uh, you're speaking forth God's message. You're interpreting His purpose. Uh, but again, it's not necessarily foretelling as much as it is forthtelling. So the gift of evangelism would be going to unsaved people and calling for them to repent. But the prophet is going to be going to God's people and calling for repentance and renewal, bold proclamations. And so that aspect of the gift is still in operation. Now, are there still gifts of healing and speaking in tongues and the revelatory aspects of the gift of prophecy and these kind of questions that we have? We will answer them, just not this morning. The gift of teaching uh, someone who has a gift of teaching, you know, just because you're a teacher doesn't mean you're good at it. I think all of us can agree to that. Uh, just because you've got the degree doesn't mean you're good. So teaching uh, by the direction of the Holy Spirit is going to be clear, simple, should be accurate. And again, miracles and healing, these are things we're going to look at in the future. Helps is something very practical. It's when you're coming alongside people and helping them in a special way. Administration means to steer, it's, it's organizing, it's leading, it's promoting. Languages is a, is a literal language. So people were speaking in a language that they didn't know, and others present could hear that language and recognize it. And sometimes people were speaking in another language and nobody in the audience understood the words. And so now you're going to need the gift of interpretation. And if no one has the gift of interpretation, then the one who has the language should remain silent makes sense. We're talking about order in church. Giving. This doesn't just mean money. It means personal contributions. It's meeting needs through personal contributions. 
There have been times in my life when I was so in debt that I couldn't tithe right. I just couldn't do it. I'd, I'd made so many bad decisions, and I had so many kids and braces and medical bills and school, and just, I was drowning. And felt so guilty because I couldn't give the church what I should. So I gave what I could. And I made personal sacrifices. And I found ways to give. And I started fixing my mistakes. So that there would be a day when I could write a check to a church. And I was tithing. I was giving my offerings to God. And I got my finances in a little better condition. So if you have the gift of giving, but you find yourself in the shoes I was in, you'll still find a way to give. Personal contributions. There's more than one way to help to give. It doesn't have to just be money. Discernment. It's what this whole thing talks about. Recognizing sources. Recognizing and appraising the source of things. Service is... Again, being practical, helping people. It could be physical helping, it could be spiritual help, but it's the gift of service. Exhortation, it means encouragement. It's motivating others to remain in faithful service. Shepherding means to lead. And just where are you leading people? Hopefully towards spiritual maturity. The gift of mercy means identifying with and comforting those people who are in need. Evangelism is a focused desire to share the gospel. Do we all share the gospel? I sure hope so. But there are people who have the gift of evangelism. So I would think that if someone has the gift of being a missionary, they would probably also have the gift of evangelism. That would make sense to me. And then they're going to need some other gifts in there because they're going to be trying to found a church and organize a church and lead and direct. They're going to need to be able to do a little bit of administrating. So you can see the role requires some, some assistance, some gifts, some abilities from the Holy Spirit. Hospitality means making others feel welcome and accepted. I, I think almost everybody in this church may have the spiritual gift. I'm not sure, but uh, we really want people to feel welcome and accepted here. And uh, that's a real nice thing to see, uh, something I have not experienced until I came here. Uh, the gift of wisdom it's going to be talking about uh, insight, uh, understanding God's perspective in, in, in daily situations, and knowledge is insight into biblical truth, application, and faith. We're not 100% sure what this means, but more to be consistent, uh, to have consistent faith in the face of obstacles. These are spiritual gifts. Bible tells us that we've all got at least one of them and we're supposed to be using it to serve others. Well, do we, do we always have the gift? Does it ever go away? When do we receive this spiritual gift? When does this happen? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. We haven't read it yet. But it tells us that all of us, every one of us, have been baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. So every one of us who have experienced the new birth have been baptized into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Romans 8, 9 tells us that when that happened, we were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So think of the, the, the believer 
he has been uh, baptized into the body of Christ and is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's true for each one of us. Now, there's nothing definitive in Scripture that tells us the time that we receive spiritual gifts. But it does stand to reason that we would receive them at the new birth. It stands to reason that we would. But we can see that gifts can be withdrawn. Are they withdrawn completely at any point? We don't know. That's uncertain. But they can be withdrawn from operation. When would that happen? If you're a Christian and God's given you a specific spiritual gift, when would that maybe be withdrawn from operation? You have to remember that the word that's being used here in, in, the, in the, just the very, uh, we read 11 verses and almost most of the verses are this list of gifts. But in the few verses that we've read, we see that a spiritual gift is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our life. So when would that maybe be withdrawn? Obviously, when our heart is not yielded to Him, but I'm going to give you three places where the Bible tells us that gifts can also be added at a later time. So if we're right, when we, when we get saved, God endows us with some spiritual gifts, we, we can actually have some other gifts added later on. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Now, what is the difference between a talent, and a spiritual gift. You know, some guy's a school teacher and he gets saved and now he's in church and all of a sudden he's teaching Sunday school. He's a teacher then, he's a teacher now, so where's the difference in being a spiritual? What's the spiritual gift? What's the difference? Well, it is true that spiritual gifts may work congruently with talent. They may work coincide, but they are distinct. So let's just look at some of the, the things that, are, that talents and spiritual gifts share. And then we'll be able to see better how they're different. A talent and a spiritual gift are both from God. That is the source. They both also have the same purpose. The purpose of a talent, the purpose of a spiritual gift is to glorify God and to benefit others. Now, we can decide that we want to use them to our own advantage and to our own glory. We've all seen people who, have, uh, who are gifted that use it to their own glory. Um, so obviously, you can t turn your talent around to, be in, to your own personal benefit. How could you do that with a spiritual gift if it's a manifestation of the Spirit? If I'm walking around like King Tut and I'm Mr. Cool and... I'm going to start blowing and using my spiritual gifts. Then is the Holy Spirit at my beck and call where He just manifests Himself whenever I want Him to at will? The only way you're going to take credit of a spiritual gift is after the fact, after God has done something. And then in your pride and selfishness, you decide somehow to take credit. But a talent and a spiritual gift are both from God and they both have the same purpose. Glorifying God and being the benefit to other people. They can also both be developed and perfected over time. 
through training and use. And we can have more than one. But the distinctions. A talent is something that you receive at birth. It's genetic. But a spiritual gift is received at the new birth. All people have talents. But only those who have experienced the new birth have a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are also designed for the added feature of building up the church, something a talent is not designed to do. And you can ask for more talents, but you're probably not going to get them. But if there's a circumstance and you need a spiritual gift and you can ask for it, maybe God will give it to you. Now, I'm not saying that singing is a spiritual gift. I'm not saying that at all. But I am going to say that there was a window of time at this church when I had to sing every Sunday uh, from the hymn book. And I think God helped me sing. I really do. I know it wasn't that great. I'm not trying to say that. But I'm just saying it was. I was able to keep the tune. I don't think I've ever been able to do that my entire life. And so I was very thankful. And so I'm not saying that's a spiritual gift, but it does show us that there could be times in our lives when God brings that extra power, that extra gift to meet the needs. And it's all going to have so much to do with our availability. You know, are you a clean vessel? Are you the guy, are you the one that's sitting on the bench that God's going to call into the game? Are you available? Are you clean? Are you, have you, have you studied to show yourself approved? You know? And so these are things. Uh, if, you're, if you're willing to go, God may empower and equip you in ways that you didn't even imagine. And so this is the, one of the biggest things about spiritual gifts is the empowerment, the in, being endowed with something, some, someone giving something to you. Um, uh, we basically have a talent all of our life. Um, as we get older, maybe some of those talents aren't as great as they were when we were younger, but you have a talent basically for the rest of your life. If you can draw, you're probably going to be able to always draw. And there's no indication in Scripture that I'm aware of that God doesn't expect to give you a spiritual gift when you get saved and for you to hang on to that gift and keep it for the rest of your life. For the remainder of your days, from your new birth to, the, to your last breath, there's no reason I can see in, in the Bible that God would not want you to continue having that spiritual gift. But we have to remember that a spiritual gift is not something that we possess, like a talent. A spiritual gift is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so it can be withdrawn and maybe removed altogether. It, will, it can diminish or be withdrawn if our hearts are not yielded to Him. And finally, uh, the last question to address this morning is, how do we know what our spiritual gifts are? How do we know? On the internet, there are different places where you can do spiritual gifts, gift assessments. It's a... 110 questions and you, 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 know, you answer them and then it kind of, there's a little schematic chart that kind of shows you where your strengths and weaknesses are and, and uh, so you obviously would want to be brutally honest when you answer those questions. If, 
there's one place called gifts.churchgrowth.org. Gifts.churchgrowth.org. There's a place in the, in the internet where you can go and, and download this test and it can show you where you're at maybe. But I'm going to tell you that you don't have to do that. You can't. And that might help you. But you don't have to do that. There's a format in the Bible. And I told you that there was five or six places in the New Testament that gives the list of these spiritual gifts. It's 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, uh, but Romans 12. And in Romans 12, he begins this subject of spiritual gifts by talking about presenting your body as a, as a living sacrifice and having your mind renewed and then thinking, making good thoughts. And then he moves right into the spiritual gifts. And so Adrian Rogers, if you know who he is, he was the one who recognized this, this, uh, this approach to the matter of spiritual gifts. And he says that, uh, and I think he's right, he says that, you know, if you want to know God's will, I think you guys can all remember when we uh, had that Bible study on Wednesday night with Andy Stanley, um, knowing, discovering God's will. And he made some really good points. He said, you know, uh, God is, doesn't want it to be a secret what he would like for you to do. So, and so many of us always say, well, why don't, what, I, don't, I don't know what God's will is for my life. Well, it's not, a, it's, he doesn't want to, it's not like a secret. He wants you to know. But when you ask him, you have to ask him with the right motivation and your heart has to be in the right place. So if you ask God for his will and all you're going to do is just take it under advisement, you know, it's an option, you know, then don't expect him to answer you. You know, so this is the train of thought and how we approach our spiritual gifts. So in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it tells us to, to, I, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And, the, and remember, the burnt offering was the entire animal was burned. So everything you are, you put on the altar. That's the picture. And uh, your Bible might say, I beseech you, my brothers. I urge you. I implore you. And so we come to God earnestly in prayer. We beg Him and we plead with Him. Well, this is God pleading with us through Paul to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's the first thing. And then the very next verse, he says, to not be conformed to the, conformed to the world, but instead be renewed, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that word transformed is the word we get from metamorphosis, like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. So to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then in the next verse, in verse 3, he tells us, once you've done those things, then think soberly, not high-mindedly, but to think, to make sober estimations, clear, honest estimations. Think. Use your brain. So these are three things we want to do before we begin to seek these answers uh, to these questions. We have to be doing these things with a yielded heart. And so then there's these four that I have up here that would follow all of that. Those would be prerequisites. And so the first one is to ask God. He has given you the gift. Ask Him to speak to your heart. It just is common sense that if He gave you the spiritual gift and He wants you to have an abundant life and He wants you to know His will, that is show you what your gifts are. How He wants you 
to serve the church. Number two is ask yourself what you enjoy to do. You can also ask yourself what you do not enjoy to do. Third is, have you or has anybody else noticed? Do others see the gift in operation in your life? Are other people seeing this? Are they being blessed by it? Are they telling you? Now, if you're new to church, if you're just getting back on the horse, you're just now coming to church, it might take a little while for people to be coming around to you like that. But at some point, people should begin to recognize. I think that if you were to look at my wife, you would see some spiritual gifts in operation. Without question. But if you were to put a pen and paper in front of my wife and ask her to write down her spiritual gifts, she couldn't do it. final one is to explore, to experiment, try something, give it a go, see if you're right, try. If you look around the church, you think, well, maybe I can do this and that. You look around and, and uh, all of the spots are filled. Every box has got a big check in it. Now what do you do? Well, you make a new box, make something new. Do something else. I gotta tell you that I've got this, y'all heard heard a bucket list. I've got a bucket list for this church. And it is full of things I would like to do for this church. I don't think it has a bottom. I just don't have the time. I never run out of ideas. Things I wish I could do. I never do. And so if you feel like you have a spiritual gift and you can't see where you would plug in around here, then create a spot. Do something. Try. Go knock on some doors. How about a home Bible study? Maybe three or four of you would open up your, your living rooms. And one week or one, once a month it's in yours and it's in yours and it's in yours. And it could be just doing a little video series and then afterwards you guys can talk about it briefly and close in prayer. It could be all it is. Or you might think, well, I can't lead that. Well, I can lead it. Gene can lead it. Barb can lead it. Alex can lead it. I think Mike can lead it. So I'm just saying that there's, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Ask God what your spiritual gifts are. Ask Him to tell you. And just ask yourself the direction that your heart's moving in. You know, if you don't want to go to the jungles in Ecuador, then you probably don't have the gift of missions, you know? So don't beat yourself up on that, about that. Uh, somebody has to be a missionary, but he's not out there all by himself. We're supporting him. He needs us back here to support him and his wife and his family. And so it takes all of us to get all of these things done. And so where is God moving your heart? And are other people seeing this operation, this gift and operation in your life? And as you move through these things prayerfully, then try. Let's pray.